Launching the Elvis Presley channel on 100 million devices was a major coup for Synodyne, but it shows the fast linear industry has challenges to overcome if it is to replace broadcast TV. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media is with me as always. Hi Colin, how is everything going? It's going great. Well, I've been keeping an eye on what has been going on at Wimbledon and I've really actually been enjoying the coverage that uh, I'm getting th- through both ESPN and ABC. I have to sort of, I have to jump between two different services. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've been really enjoying that coverage. And you know, ESPN Plus, uh, I don't know how Disney did it, but they got me on this bundle, and I guess I'm kind of hooked now on the fact that I can access this. The the usually the secondary games. I was watching a doubles game this morning, and uh, really enjoyable coverage there. So I don't know. This is a clever plot by Disney to capture me on the bundle, and it seems like they've been successful. They're succeeding. I didn't. I didn't know you were a tennis fan, actually. I'm not a huge tennis fan, but I really enjoy watching Wimbledon. Uh, I guess it's harking back to my roots. Will and I remember my mother loved Wimbledon and always used to have it on. So, I guess it's sort of comfort food sports for me. Can't beat Wimbledon. Uh, well, anyway, let's um, let's get started. Actually, a couple of news items this week, and then our main story. And our first news item is about sports. It is indeed about sports, and uh, it's interesting. The I think our audience probably knows that NFL Sunday Ticket is moving from DirecTV, and the bidders have come down apparently to three, Apple, Amazon, and Walt Disney, the Disney company, and they are the last three standing, and the rumors are that the cost will be $2.5 to $3 billion annually which is a lot more than they paid back in 2017 when it was last negotiated I think. I think the bottom line here will there's a lot of talk here about uh, I've seen talk in the press that Apple must be a front runner for this and how it will help whatever streaming company establish their streaming service as a, as a must-have service but I think the bottom line here is whoever wins I think the NFL Sunday ticket is going to become an online-only property. I think Disney, if Disney win it, they won't put it on any of their broadcast channels. This is going to go as a subscription option into ESPN+. Plus. So whatever we do, I think NFL Sunday ticket now is going to be a streaming property, which uh, really sort of harks back to our discussion couple of weeks back about the MLS deal with Apple TV and how sports are migrating online. Absolutely. And it follows on the MLS deal that Apple, uh, you and I talked about Apple just signing. That was also a huge increase in rights fees that MLS got. So the wherever NFL Sunday ticket goes, I think, proves again the enduring value of sports. Um you know, it was considered the glue and the pay TV bundle, but now it seems to be an appeal for driving popularity of, of specific streaming services. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And I do think, I mean, the, I was reading this piece 
in Next TV, and they were they were claiming that it would uh, it would be the best Apple TV would be the best home for this. Uh, if Apple do win it, um, it certainly does marry well with MLS, and they have this deal with MLB for the double header on Thursday nights, or excuse me, that's Friday nights, right? Uh, for for Major League Baseball, and I think that would establish. Apple Apple TV Plus as being a really important part of your portfolio if you're a sports fan. So, boy, but wherever it goes, I think it will help push people to subscribe to that service. So I guess we'll have to see. What caught your eye this week? Well, whereas sports, um, NFL Sunday Ticket is another example of sports enduring value, I what caught my eye this week was an article in Bloomberg that was titled The Age of Peak TV is Ending and Age of Austerity is Beginning. And it basically recapped um, the various ways that some of the biggest players, whether it's uh, Warner Brothers, HBO, uh, Peacock, Netflix, and others, are cutting back on their original content spending and um, really trying to, excuse me, better rationalize where they're putting their dollars. And that, of course, comes after a huge run-up in the number of originals being produced, the so-called peak TV era. And um, this article in Bloomberg basically asserting that uh, peak TV is now behind us. Part of that's as a result of you know, what Netflix uh, revealed about last quarter, losing a couple hundred thousand subscribers, casting a pall over the entire market. But um, you know, on the flip side of that, Peter Chernin, who used to run Fox, announced this week that he has raised $800 million in equity and debt financing uh, for a company that will be producing originals for specifically for the streaming market focused on unscripted, which includes reality and documentaries, and also in international. So couple of backers on that, Providence Equity Partners and Apollo Global Management, um, raising $800 million there, uh, basically believing that there is going to be increased demand for originals. Yeah, that's two very different different uh, directions, <laughs> right? Um, I, I don't know. I think it kind of makes sense that we would see some sort of pullback, Will. Uh, after all, we, we have seen an escalation in a, of the number of original series now for the past, what, Ten six, years. Se- six, seven years, right? It's, yeah. it's, it seems to have increased every every year for the last yep. six or seven years. I'm sure our audience has been tracking those FX, um, FX numbers that were being put out. Yep. So it makes a lot of sense that we would sort of step back. And I noticed that David Zaslav, who's at the big uh, day camp for CEOs uh, in Sun Valley, uh, Sun Valley, Idaho, this week was quoted as saying, yeah, we're, there's, there's a move from quantity back to quality. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, he's, he's been taking his axe out and slowing the growth of HBO Max in Europe and axing production yep. in Europe for new series there to support the expansion of HBO Max into, I think, and the, the rest of the countries of the world. It's already in 60. Um, so I guess it does make sense that there will be some sort of retrenchment. But, uh, you know, maybe that's Peter Chernin is, is sort of leaning into the counter trend 
I'm banking on the fact that uh, maybe if, if the big providers pull back, that that will open up opportunities for him to license his content to sort of support those people that are still looking for original. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Yep. Well, shifting from the world of originals to the world of syndicated content, uh, you want to discuss the launch of the Elvis Presley channel. And that coincides, obviously, with the Elvis movie. It, it does, Will. And I think we sort of mentioned this last week in last week's podcast. Yeah. And I wanted to return to it because it's a really interesting topic. And I think it illustrates both the strengths and weaknesses of the fast linear market as it stands today. And so just just to recap, um, Cinedyme, uh, working with the uh, rights holders for Elvis content, um, he, Cinedyme released a new channel called the Elvis Presley channel last week. And remarkably, it's able to reach 100 million devices, according to the press release, 100 million devices on its launch here in, in the US, which I think is a pretty amazing achievement. And it's even doubly amazing because to do it, the service has to be available on seven different platforms. Seven. So it's, it's, it's available through LG Channels, Amazon's Freebie, Vizio, Dishes Sling TV, Comcast Zumo, Plex, uh, and Allen Media Group's Local Now. And when you do that, that gets you to 100 million devices. Of course, there's a lot of duplication there because a lot of those services are available on, on those platforms as well. But so when you think about that, I mean, this is a huge undertaking, I think, for Cinedyne. And so kudos to them for being able to deliver a, uh, this single channel on that many different devices. So... That's a really impressive feat, I think. And, and it really illustrates the challenge that we have with Fast Linear at the moment. And, and that is that it, it is making a realistic impact now in people's viewing behavior. A lot of people are here. And I, actually, I think you've got some data on that that we'll talk about in just a second. But it also illustrates that it is so fragmented and it is really, really difficult to get a channel released and reaching the the total potential audience. So th th those two things, I think, really do illustrate the challenge. The other thing I want to just talk about is the fact that I really think an Elvis Presley channel, as a standalone channel, probably would not have worked in the traditional pay TV industry. It would have been very difficult to launch as well, but also probably would not have have earned a great deal of viewership and would have cost, you know, it, it, the cost structure would have been so different. I don't think it would have worked in the traditional pay TV industry. And with fast, one of the beauties of, of this fast linear approach is that you can more easily reach such a diverse, such a widely diverse group of people who are in, who would be interested in watching the Elvis Presley channel. Uh, so, you know, I, I think this really illustrates the sort of pluses and minuses of the situ situation we're in with Fast Linear at the moment. But I think you might you might have your hands on some data about how popular Fast Linear is now. Yeah, there was actually some interesting uh, data from Comscore that Comscore released not long ago 
that um, illustrated some of the nuances in how different, three different uh, ethnic groups are consuming streaming services, uh, three different diverse audiences. Um, and it uh, did underscore, to your point, the rise of ad-supported streaming when they looked at seven or eight different streaming services what they found were that ad-supported services like Fubo, Sling, and Pluto all performed, for the most part, better than purely subscription-oriented services like Netflix and Hulu and others. In fact, Fubo, this is based on uh, an index, so it's not specific number of households, but based on an index, Fubo had the highest indexing among Hispanic viewers, Sling had the highest indexing among Asian viewers, and Pluto also, and Pluto came in second on having the highest indexing of uh, Hispanic viewers. So some pretty strong support there that these ad-supported services are being consumed, uh, at least by these diverse audiences, it doesn't speak to the overall market, um, but it does, I think, lend some support to the idea that uh, people are looking for free content and are willing to exchange their time for ads, for watching ads. Yeah, and one of the other things in, in that data that I thought was pretty interesting, Will, was it sort of showed that Comscore broke out by um, ethnic group uh, the services that were being used the most. And what, what really struck me, particularly with Pluto TV, is that it, it over-indexes in both the Hispanic and African-American communities where it's used uh, 17% more and 10% more respectively than the average. Um, uh, that is from the perspective of days used per household. Um, in this, this was in, as you said, in March 2022. So I think that that was pretty interesting that, that it is, Pluto TV is being watched more days per week than just about any other service except, as you mentioned, Fubo TV and Sling. And that, that I thought was pretty remarkable because what that, that's telling you is that, you know, in some communities, they're really, really, f- They've found free ad-supported linear streaming, and they really love it. They're putting it on and letting it play in their houses. The, the that's and that's what that the other data that you also talked about, which is the you know which is based on the viewing time, the amount of time people spent viewing. Now, Pluto TV's right up there with with things like Paramount Plus and, and other major services. So. I think that's that really shows that there's been tremendous progress made in a very rapid period of time and that's you know in the last couple of years i should say that pluto tv has been around a lot longer than that uh, but growth was just much much slower up until about two years ago when things really started to take off yeah i think all that's fair colin and um there was a lot of other data in that comscore report i don't know if there was anything else in particular that uh caught your eye no no um but you know one of the, I, this put me in mind, Will, of a panel I moderated at the Stream TV show in Denver a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was three weeks ago now, 
And uh, I, I actually threw out, so I'm in, I'm in Denver, so I'm in cable country. So there's a lot of people here from from cable and, and, and pay TV providers. And I threw out a question that could be considered uh, heresy up there. I sort of asked, could uh, fast linear channels replace broadcast? And um, I had a pretty diverse group of people on my panels and Ashley Hovey, who's director of AVOD at the Roku channel, she was most enthusiastic, but she actually pointed out that she thought it would be a bit limited by the lack of sports, which seems to be being fixed slowly but surely with our discussion earlier about the NFL Sunday ticket. What she said was, what you see right now that is holding broadcast up is sports and news. I think a lot of the other types of viewing, like scripted, have definitely gone down. There's a question of, do sports need to go over to actually make broadcast channels go away? But, you know, that she definitely seemed to think that that was the direction we were, he- we were headed. And so did Taylor Cyburn, who's VP of Business Development at Tubi. Uh, so she said, I think we're heading in that direction. Uh, it comes down to what's available and how the users know it's available. Uh, that's that's definitely a, a, an issue. And Chris Knight, who's a CEO of Gusto TV, Gusto TV, of course, is very heavily into OTT with its food channels. It's it's a big player in the linear. Was originally actually on linear pay TV and has very has made a rapid transition onto fast linear. And he, uh, Chris, Chris Knight says the way the technology is evolving and changing, this is such an exciting time to be doing what we're doing. For me, it's a question of time and the evolution of the app, not a question of when, when that is, he thinks is absolutely going to happen. So I think there's a general feeling that there's a potential for fast linear to sort of step up and take over where traditional linear has played for the last, oh God, half century, 70 years, actually. It's, it's a lot longer than a half century, isn't it? But I got to tell you, well, I think that there's some, there's still some challenges. We've sort of hinted at them. One is this fragmentation. It's quite difficult to launch a single channel across multiple platforms. Discovery is a bear. I think we talked about this last week with the Elvis channel. I actually tried to find the Elvis Presley channel on five different platforms on three of them it was relatively easy but on two i just couldn't find it i mean i just flat out couldn't find it i looked uh, pretty hard on freebie i looked it was supposedly available on freebie on amazon couldn't find it and it was supposedly available on zumo and I couldn't find it there either. So this discovery issue is a, a real big problem. And I still think that there's an experience problem. I still think that where the ads show up is often very unexpected. With some services, I'm seeing delays and quality issues when the ads do show up. There's a problem with fill rates. There's still relatively, there's still quite a lot of inventory that's going unfilled and of course, our old friend, Ad Repeats, uh, that, that's, a, that's also a problem there. So I think there are some barriers to it taking over from traditional broadcaster. But if those, if those problems can be fixed, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for, uh, for fast linear services to sort of take up from 
broadcast, uh, traditional broadcast. What do you think? Yeah, well, people do. I think what FAST has proved is that people do like to have linear type experiences rather than having to make every single viewing decision an on-demand decision. There is value to being able to uh, be in a more relaxed, lean-back state and just have uh, programs spool out. And that's, of course, always been the advantage of linear. I think people do like the choice to be able to watch what they want to watch, but there is a trade-off. And fast, again, with better ad experiences, albeit with some of the challenges that you just articulated, uh, but certainly with lighter ad loads than in traditional linear TV. Um, and, of course, the idea of super serving specific fans and audiences, that's what I think all of those things are what makes uh, FAST uh, popular and gaining more popularity all the time. I do too. And, you know, the thing, the thing for me, the real clincher for me here is I, I, the focus that the smart TV platforms and the connected TV platforms now are putting on it. Um, the experience is just really, really easy. It's, it's very easy to find this. Uh, it's very easy to start watching. It's one of the first things you do when you get a connected TV, a smart TV or a connected right. platform, of course, is hook it up to your broadband. And as soon as you do that, you're watching and you're, you're very often watching uh, hundreds of channels. There are hundred, hundreds of channels at your disposal that are very easy to get into. The biggest problem, though, is, you know, if you're a user, how the smart TV uh, fast linear platform influences your purchase. Well, I, I got a feeling that it doesn't influence it very much because there's just too, there's just too many platforms and uh, it's just really difficult to figure out which ones have the channel that you want. So probably the easiest thing is just to buy the best TV you get, see what it provides, and then augment it with another service like Pluto TV or uh, Zumo, which you can download and use on any of the smart TVs. So, uh, oh, and of course the Roku channel. So that is still a big issue, but certainly the discovery of, of the services, well, that's I think that's largely being solved by the platforms themselves, which are pushing consumers towards them. A great example of that, of course, is uh, Vizio, Vizio's Watch Free. That is really easy to get into because they, you know, when you when you connect the TV and you hook up to Wi-Fi, they start telling you about what's available for free in the Watch Free interface. And it's very, very easy to get in. And I've, I've been caught many, many times going in and watching stuff because I've, it's been pushed to me in the hero bar in that first screen, that landing screen for Vizio TV. So, you know, just that, getting into it is easy. Finding something specific, though, is still pretty hard. You end up scrolling through guides, which is not my preferred way of finding content. And I think probably people would hope that that would be something that we were getting past now. Okay, well, I think you have the last word today on Fast Channels, a topic that we will no doubt be talking about more in the future, again, as Fast Channels continue to pro proliferate. So I think we're going to leave it at that, Colin, right? Very good. That sounds good to me, Will. Okay, good chatting, as always. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we'll see you all again next week on Inside the Street.
Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news. All rights reserved.